Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. How was your guys' Thanksgiving? Anybody exhausted, tired like me? Yep, okay. Yeah, not at all? Yeah, you're falling asleep already. Welcome, welcome to Vox, glad you're here. Uh, I'm sure more people will trickle in as time goes on. Uh, my name is Ronnie, I'm one of the teachers here. Thankful that you guys are here, thankful to be here. It's been a while, I hadn't got to teach, but I'm excited to share with you uh, this morning. Um, I got a lot to share, lots to talk about, got some announcements to make. Uh, first thing is we have a workshop coming up that Carrie is doing. Uh, that is November 27th, 7 p.m. It's right around the corner. Uh, the topic will be grief and loneliness. So something that's very, um, we've asked questions of the community before, this is something that's very uh, near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and the issue that people were asking about. So uh, Carrie decided to open up her workshop to do one on this. And so if you're interested in it, signups are still available. You can go on uh, now and be able to do that. Voxoc.com sl- uh, forward slash workshops. Uh, you can sign up and still make it for that as well. Uh, another announcement we have is December 9th, I believe. I don't know if we have a slide for that. December 9th at 1130 after our, after our gathering here, uh, we're going to share sort of the state of the church, the state of Vox, what we're doing, uh, what we think God is calling us to, what we're going to look, what's going to look like for the next year. So I want to invite you to come to that. Uh, lots of cool stuff. I'm excited about what we're going to share. I'm excited about what God's saying. Um, and we w- want you to come here. We want to hear your feedback. want to hear what you have to say about that. So uh, mark that in your calendar, December 9th. You'll hear a lot about it as the coming weeks. And so uh, mark in your calendar, make sure you're there. I think that's it. Is there one more? One more announcement. Nope. Oh, Vox Dinner. So you can sign up for Vox Dinners. We just had our Vox Dinner the day before Thanksgiving at Docent Brewery down in Dana Point. And I thought there was going to be like two people there. And we had like 15 people show up. Uh, people who didn't even come to Vox. They just wanted to hang out. And so it was really, really cool. So hopefully uh, you're enjoying your Vox Dinners. If you haven't signed up yet, you can do that as well. Uh, Voxoc.com, uh, get connected. And then there's uh, information there how to get uh, into one of the table fellowships near you. All right. <laughs> So like we do, usually every week we have uh, Q&A. Uh, so you ask questions and we, we, we want to respond, want to give you an answer. It's not the answer, it's an A answer, it's one answer that we have uh, and it's a response to it because we think that it's, it's important that as people journey and navigate uh, their, their life of faith, they have questions. And so what, is it, what, what questions do you have? You have questions about the service, about the church, about the message, about the Bible. Ask it and uh, we're happy to, to do our best to respond. So I think we have one today. Let me see what it is. Uh, Yeah, this is a good one. Okay, how does a spouse deal with their partner being in a much different place in their walk with the Lord? So, good question. Um, as, I, as this one came in, I kind of had some brief thoughts about it. And forgive me if I've misinterpreted the way that the question was asked to the person who asked it. Um, I think the, the first problem with the question is that in it is an assumption that one person is where they should be and another person isn't. So I think if we start there, that's a problem, right? Because everybody's journey is different and we're all walking this thing out trying to figure out what we're doing and what, is, what does all this mean? Um, and so anybody who's doing an honest uh, look at their faith journey is gonna be in different places all the time. Um, and so if you are in a relationship with someone who is in a different place than you, uh, what does your role then become? Uh, are you supposed to be their accountability partner, uh, making sure that they're reading their Bible every day? 
journaling, um, you know, being the one who's looking over them. Is that, is that your role? See, I don't, I don't know that that's the role that, um, that I, would, I would want to take. In fact, in our, my own marriage with my wife, uh, we, we are uh, constantly at different places in our life and in our journey always. Uh, I think another important component of that is, is what, how open are the lines of communication in your relationship? Uh, the beauty of having a relationship full of trust is that you can not walk on eggshells, but you can talk about any of these things and that everything is fair game, that everything is safe uh, so that when we talk about it, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. You know, it's, it's funny. Your marriage should be a place for you to bring up weird stuff right? Like, it should just be a place that you can talk about weird things and not be looked at like a weirdo, even if you are a weirdo. It should, it's like, it's okay. Like, I love you. We're already here in this place. So just talk about what the things that are on your mind and and let's work that out. And so I think um, if you're in a place where uh, your spouse is in a different place than you, I think that's okay. Um, One of the things that we've, uh, we've looked at before, and if you're interested, there's a uh, podcast that Mike did um, a few months back, maybe over a year ago. Uh, There's a man by the name of M. Scott Peck. And uh, M. Scott Peck was a psychologist and uh, he was a Christian. And uh, he did a lot of research with the people that were coming in, and he actually wrote a paper about spiritual maturity. And he l- was able to identify four different stages of spiritual maturity. Um, I won't go into detail because it's really, really in, in depth. But essentially, people don't move through the stages of spiritual maturity simply by force. You can't just say, I want to go from one to two, or from two to three, or from three to four. Uh, life circumstances is what takes you on this journey of spiritual maturity. Now, you have a choice in the matter whether you choose to engage whether you choose to respond, uh, that's on you. Uh, But there is distinctives that he lays out where people can grow through their maturity. And so it turns out that spiritual maturity really comes down to this idea of letting go, of being able to surrender control, of being able to trust and say, I I don't know. I don't have all the answers and I don't need all the answers. And way down here uh, at the beginning of the spiritual journey is the need for control. It's the need for right. And he calls that forms. Um, Things like the military become forms for people. It's a way to bring order out of a world that's chaotic. Uh, Church is a way for people to bring order out of a world that is chaotic. Uh, But as you move through spiritual maturity, you would begin to embrace mystery, which is, I I don't know. I don't know all these answers. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. But I think as as a partner in a marriage with somebody who's in a different place, your job is to encourage, to help them navigate that journey honestly, right? Because if somebody says, I'm in a journey, I'm journeying through this, well, what does that look like? How do we do that honestly? And how do we look at it uh, with integrity together? Uh, I think that's important. I think uh, one of the things that you realize when people are going through deconstruction, and it's always scary because you people are, oh my gosh, they lost their faith. But what people actually need is encouragement to keep moving. It's okay. You may seem like you're in a dark place, but that's okay. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward because after the darkness comes light. And so I think that's an important part of a marriage relationship where you might see that there's, you know, there's some difference. And then, you know, I think some of that comes from, uh, you've heard that passage in Corinthians, don't be yoked to an unbeliever. Uh, And people take that and they go, oh, you shouldn't talk to somebody or you shouldn't date somebody who's not a believer. Now, this is a wisdom passage. And I think there's wisdom in it because you can tell that, you know, in a country like today where we're so divided politically, you know, it would be hard for you to date somebody who had different ideas from you. Now, that's not saying that you can't or that you shouldn't. I think that we should disagree uh, and still love each other, but 
I think that passage is giving you wisdom saying, if you choose this road, it will be difficult for you, especially if you have different worldviews and ways of thinking, but that doesn't say you shouldn't. So uh, there's a lot there that I think is the person is asking. So forgive me if I misunderstood the question that you were asking, uh, but the way I understood it is it was almost like I'm somewhere that I want my partner to be too, and I think that's not fair. I think in a journey that people are doing honestly, we're gonna be at different places at different times. That's just the way it is. So Cool. Uh, if you have questions, uh, if you have more questions about that, feel free to ask them. You can text them, um, and we'll be sure to get back to you uh, with those as soon as possible. All right. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, well, along the same lines of what, we're, what we just kind of answered, this idea of a spiritual journey and what does that look like? I was going to do a, a Luke, uh, an Acts recap since we just finished Acts, and then I thought, you know what? This feels more appropriate given Carrie's message last week, and so I kind of want to jump into it. So Proverbs uh, 3, 5, uh, through eight is the passage that we're going to sort of just look at this morning. We have the verse up there. Um, let me just say this about the Proverbs. It's this, uh, this really, really neat book in the middle of the Bible, and uh, it's a bunch of pithy uh, uh, wisdom literature. It's got lots of, lots of things in there that if you hold on to, it takes a lot to digest. Uh, it wasn't the only literature in the ancient Near East. There was lots of literature in the ancient Near East that was wisdom-related, uh, but the book of Proverbs has this one, and, uh, and, I, and I think as we look at it, it has a lot to say and inform about our spiritual journey and the road that we walk together. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. As we look at wisdom literature, it's important to understand something about the wisdom literature in the Bible. Uh, these are not ironclad statements. Lots of, um, lots of Christians, lots of well-intentioned Christians, some Christian camps um, will take these Proverbs and act like they're ironclad uh, agreements. You know, raise your child in the way that they should go and they will follow the Lord. And then you try to raise your kid in church and then they walk away from the church and you're like, well, what the heck? The Proverbs told me. Well, it, it's not an ironclad thing. It's not like if you do this, then this is gonna happen. This is wisdom. This is saying this is the way things should be. This is the way uh, that we should think about things. Common sense wisdom. So this particular passage talks about trust, which is a difficult concept, I think, for us today uh, to really uh, grab a hold of, because especially from a biblical standpoint, uh, mainly because of the place and time that we live. Uh, culturally, um, we have science, uh, we have lots of data and proof, and so to this idea of belief and faith and trust become very difficult concepts, I think, for us to navigate and grab a hold of. Um, I think that uh, we, have, we have to understand the Bible's difference between belief and trust. While they sound interchangeable, they're distinctly different, and they're certainly unique. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I've entitled this message, Belief. So easy, a demon can do it. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to gather together. Thank you for us to be able to approach uh, your word honestly, uh, vulnerably, uh, with questions, with skepticism, with doubt, and you embrace us uh, with open arms and with grace. And so uh, we lift up this morning to you. Um, help us in our weak, feeble attempt to present your body to the world. Uh, give us strength and give us wisdom. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I, I became a Christian I was just thinking about this. Uh, it was well, over 17 years ago now. That feels like I'm really old. But uh, 
And there was a group of us that were about the same age in our like early 20s, mid 20s, when, uh, when we, we became Christians at this one church. And uh, it was a really tight knit group of guys. And, you know, we, we'd gather together, do the weekly Bible study thing. We did that whole thing. And uh, we kind of lost touch after we, I moved to a different church and we kind of lost touch. And I, I reconnected with this one person in the group randomly uh, a few years after the fact. And we were having this conversation and uh, he had told me that he quit Christianity, uh, which I don't know if you've ever heard that before, which is an interesting saying, but he, he quit Christianity. And, you know, I was like, at the time, I'm like, what? Well, how, what, what do you mean? Why did you quit Christianity? How, how, what's, what, what led to that? And so we got to having this conversation and it turned out that the one thing that sort of turned the corner for him was that um, the Bible taught a literal six day creation of the universe. And he just was like, his mind could not grab a hold of this concept that, you know, we have science, uh, we have archaeology, we have geology, we can look at the earth, we can look at, you know, we can look at these things and know how old our earth is. And so why would the Bible say that it's six days? And it, that, that one thing caused him to sort of just reject the whole of Christianity. Uh, I don't know if you've talked to people, but that's a lot of people's experiences. They, they, they encounter something where what they were taught doesn't sort Check, check, hello? Okay, back on, okay. I think it's a pretty common experience for people that, you know, things that they were taught, things that they were told to be empirical and truth, and then something happens and then they go, wait a minute, this doesn't line up, and so they they end up rejecting the whole. Uh, For a lot of people, it may not be something like that, it may be a faith issue where I prayed for healing and it didn't happen. Or I prayed for a job and I didn't get it. We prayed to have a house and I didn't get it. And it didn't happen. I prayed for a kid and it, and it didn't happen. And so there's this, this, this conundrum, this, you come to this place in your, in your faith and you go, what do I do with this? Luckily for us, there's an entire passage of, of, of scripture in the Bible that deals with this. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, right just after Proverbs, right in the middle of the Bible, there's this whole passage about uh, this guy named Colette. He's the preacher or the teacher. And basically in this like 12 chapter book, he sits there and says, all of this is meaningless. Like look at the world around you. The sun comes up every single day, goes down every single night, nothing to gain. Men and women, we toil on the earth and we never gain anything. He's like, I've done this, I've done that. It all amounts to nothing. It's like chasing after wind. It's this very bleak, sort of grim look at the, at the world. Right in the middle of the Bible. I love that the Bible is so honest, right? Like this is an honest approach to the journey with God. Now, could you imagine? They call him the preacher, the teacher. Imagine if I just got up here every week and was like, it's all chasing after wind. This is pointless. Like you, eventually you'd be like, I'm not coming here anymore. This guy's a downer, <laughs> right? But this is in the Bible. And Colette writes his journey and what his experience has been like and that it almost feels like this is meaningless. And then at the end of Colette's diatribe, the narrator comes back into the story and listen to what the, the final thoughts about Colette from the narrator. It says this in Ecclesiastes, but my child, let me give you some further advice. It's almost like, oh yeah, you're the teacher and I have a seat, let me teach you about some things. My child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God 
and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. To be sure, the narrator is not saying, stop reading, stop learning, stop being inquisitive, stop trying to, to learn about. He's not saying that. He means stop obsessing and trying to work everything out spiritually and mentally. Stop it. It's exhausting. It, you just keep going and trying to figure things out, and you're never going to get there. Instead, what the narrator tells Colette is keep being an obedient Israelite and have reverence for God anyway, which is a hard pill to swallow, right? Again, now it needs to be said. The narrator is not saying that you shouldn't ask questions, that you shouldn't really want to engage intellectually and try to find. But what, what happens is we get preoccupied with trying to find all of the answers and making everything fit. That's the problem. So we learn something from Colette here about trust and, uh, and that trust isn't about working it all out. Trust is about obedience anyway. So the Bible tells us a little bit about what trust looks like. It's about obedience in the face of, I don't know everything. Uh, Pete Enns, a great author, scholar, he writes this. Trust like this is an affront to reason, the control that our egos crave, which is precisely the point. Trust does not work because we've captured God in our minds. It works regardless of the fact that at the end of the day, we finally learn that we can't. Pete is saying, when you come to the point and you realize, I can't control God anymore, I just have to trust. That's what the writer in Ecclesiastes is saying. This is what trust looked like. It comes to the point where you say, I, I just can't anymore. This is, this is what M. Scott Peck in, his, in his, his paper about spiritual maturity writes about. That as we travel down this road of faith, um, we come to a point in the, state, in the fourth stage. It's the stage of embracing mystery. It's the stage where we come to the point where we realize we don't have control and we, don't, we can't know. We can't know everything. And yet, we're obedient anyway. See, the beauty of someone who's at level four and their maturity spiritually can go to any church, whether it's legalistic or not, whether they're conservative or liberal, they can go there because their trust is in the right person, not in the thing, not in the, not in the, the institution, not in the writings, but in the one person. And that's the distinction we have to make here about trust it's not primarily about what, but who. Who? So I think we need to make a point here about knowledge and correct thinking um, because uh, wanting to have the correct knowledge about God is an important thing. In fact, that's what I make a living doing, right? Um, I went to school to have proper thinking about who God is and what God is like in the Bible. So that's not a bad thing. Again, the problem, like the narrator in Ecclesiastes is telling Colette, the problem with right thinking of correct knowledge is the preoccupation uh, with obsessing and having the right uh, certainty about the right things. You get obsessed. I have to know. I have to have the right answers. I have to have the right, and typically what happens is when you, you go to Bible school and you get in these discussions in these classrooms about different theological topics, and typically when someone thinks they're right, they end up being the one who beats people over the head with it, which is really unfortunate, right? Because when you really get down to it, how do you really know? It becomes very difficult, and that's, that's, shakes a lot of people, especially if they're going through their first or second year of seminary. They begin to get shake, shaken, like, wait a minute, 
You mean to tell me that this is not what this passage is about? And it's like, their minds are blown. Hold, hold on a second. Wait, you mean Genesis is like poetry and it's not actually the creation story scientifically? Right? That's unnerving to a lot of people because again, and I think in our westernized culture, I've said this before, we have this preoccupation with being right. Because if I can be right, then it assures me of everything that I believe and I'm okay. It's sort of a safety net. And see, the thing about God when you look at the Bible is he's not safe. Safe enough, but he calls us into something more, which is what Colette was saying, was the, the, uh, the narrator in Ecclesiastes was telling Colette. It's trust. It's trust anyway. Letting go of the need to be right. Believing, as it's used in the Bible, doesn't focus on what but whom one places their trust in. Now, that's important. See, um, belief, when you talk about somebody, what do you believe? What do you believe in? And if I asked you what you believe in, you'd probably give me a list, five, six different things that you believe in, right? Content-driven stuff. This is what I believe in. This is the what. But in the Bible, the belief is not concerned with what, but more it's concerned with who. Who do you believe in? Who is the person that you believe in? Who is the person that you're putting your trust in? Look at what the proverb says again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is a who. This is a who thing. Trust in the Lord with your heart, not your mind. It says lean not on your own understanding. That's the what. This ancient literature, thousands of years ago, is telling its readers then and telling its readers today. Trust is in your heart. It's primarily concerned with who, not what. You see, when we get so preoccupied with what, well, then you get all kinds of weird sorts of things that begin to happen, right? You've heard this, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but there's this thing called bibliolatry, where the Bible becomes the idol. Some, some brands of Christianity, some brands will, will, will take the Bible and hold the Bible up as it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, Right? And, and Dallas Willard famously uh, said this, and I was in a, in a lecture when he said this. The Bible did not go to the cross for your sins. The Bible was not buried for your sins. The Bible did not raise on the third day for your sins. It was Jesus. And see, we can, we can get so concerned about right information that we hold up the wrong things, right? The Bible is concerned not with the what, but with the who. That's why when we talk about Q&A here, and, I, and I've been wanting to talk with the team about this, is when we say question and answer Q&A, it sounds like we have the answer. And I've said this before, we don't have the answers. We have an answer. More like we have a response. So you ask a question, I have a response. I don't want to pretend that I have the answers or know everything, because I don't. And so I think that's a more honest way of looking at it. Like you have questions, well, we'll try to give our best response. And you can take that however you want. If you want to look at me and go, well, you're an idiot. I don't believe you anyway. That's fine. You can. That's just my way of looking at it. There's a different way of looking at it. On our teaching team, we have lots of different people who think differently about different topics. And I think that's okay because we center around the who, not the what. Who is the person that we're going after? And it's Jesus. In fact, there's a great story in the very beginning of the Bible that tells us the danger of who and what. Remember these, these two people, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning in the garden? See, they had the who. They were in the garden with the who. And the who told them, don't go after the what. If you go after the what, you're gonna miss the who. And what happened? As Soon as they had a chance, they had to know what the what was. 
preoccupation with the right answer, the tree of knowledge, I need to know, I wanna have all the information, I wanna have it right, and guess what happens? Step into that, and you miss and lose sight of the who. You see, it's the preoccupation with being right and having certainty about all the right information, and that's not what the Bible is telling us. The Bible is leading us to a who. James, chapter two, verse 19, James says this, you believe that God is one, you do well, even demons believe and shudder. James is saying belief in the X, Y, and Z is easy, so easy a demon could do it. What's much different is trust. What do you put your trust in? It's interesting that Proverbs uses the idea of trust with, uh, in conjunction with leaning, right? When you trust something, you put your full weight into it, correct? See, I can believe that the table is here, and I can believe that the table will hold me. That's all the right information. That's all the right content, right? But it's much different if I tell you I'm going to sit on this and put all of my weight on this table that it will hold me. That's trust. Not concerned with the what, but it's the who. Who is at the center of what Jesus leads us to? There's a story in uh, Luke, uh, and Jesus is going around in his ministry, and he's, and he's healing. There is a, an official named Jairus in one of the local synagogues, and his daughter is sick and dying. And so he sends people to Jesus to have Jesus come and heal his daughter before his daughter dies. Well, Jesus agrees and says, I'm going to come to your house, but then he gets caught up in some other miracles and healings that happened, and the daughter of Jairus dies. Word gets back to Jesus. One of the, one of the, uh, the assistants there, there at Jairus' house says, don't bother coming. She's dead. Because it's crazy to think that somebody could be raised from the dead, right? It's irrational for anyone to think that somebody could be raised from the dead then and now, right? 2,000 years ago, that's crazy. Today, it's crazy. So it was perfectly okay for them to say, no, it's okay, don't bother. And in typical Jesus fashion, he responds and says, don't be afraid, just believe or trust me and she will be healed. And so what Jesus is inviting Jairus into is to step beyond the X, Y, and Z, not the who, not the what, but the who. He's saying, surrender it, give it all to me. Can you trust me with your child? See, as a parent, this is very difficult. As a parent, one of the most difficult places of trust I have is putting my children in the hands of God because I want to be God for my children because I know what's best for my child because I want to control every little thing about their life so that everything comes out the way that I want it to. That's a very difficult thing. And see, what Jesus was trying to teach Jairus and everybody, and he took his disciples with him to Jairus' house, which is, which is a key point, because he's gonna do a teaching lesson here about trust. And so when Jesus shows up at the house, everyone is weeping and wailing, and they're sad, because again, it's irrational. Why would anyone think that someone could be raised from the dead? And then Jesus walks in and says, so she's merely sleeping. And they, sure enough, they go in the room, and she's awake. That level of trust that Jesus invites Jairus into. This is where the Bible narrative is moving. Jesus moves us past the what that's in our heads to the who that's in our hearts. He says, come with me to this place. It's scary. 
because you're gonna have to let go of all of these other things to trust me. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Trust the who, not the what. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. This is an interesting concept, trust and belief, right? Conceptually, we get it. Trust, I understand, I should trust God. Living that out is a totally different thing. Surrendering your children, surrendering your family, surrendering your job, surrendering the things that you want control of, as Pete said, is an affront to your ego. And that's harder to live out. But ironically, the only way that you learn trust is by actually living it out by moving into difficult situations like suffering and pain and loss and sadness. And trust is not a one-time deal. Trust is meant to be done continuously over and over and over again. Which is why when the father had, to be, he had his daughter healed, Jesus said, do you believe? And the man said, I, I do believe, but help me with my trust. He cried out, help me with my unbelief. Help me with my trust. I want to trust. I need help. Belief in the original Hebrew is the word achmen, achmen, which we've translated to mean amen, right? And amen, as a final word of prayer, is a declaration of trust. When you pray and you close a prayer with amen, that is a declaration of trust. It's saying, God, we have said our peace. We have put everything out on the table in front of you. And now we trust you to do what you know is right, to do what you do, to understand that we're not God and we don't know. Amen. Easy concept to think about, very difficult to walk out. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we, we go today and how do we, how do we develop trust in our life? Well, <clears throat> when we pray and things don't pan out the way that we want, as the narrator in Ecclesiastes said, trust and obedience anyway. When life gets hard, move away from the what and move towards the who. The who is the North Star. The what, that changes. Information, all that stuff changes all the time. But the who never changes. And it's precisely the who, Jesus, who is with, with us in the midst of that journey. Pain and loss and struggle and doubt and skepticism. Jesus' promise to us is that he is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. There's a difference between belief, what I know, and trust what's in my heart. And Jesus moves us from the what in our head to the who in our hearts. That's the message of Proverbs 3 this morning. Can you move to that place? It's a continual thing. It's not a one-time act, which sad news for us, right? Because it's gonna take effort. It takes work. It takes choice on our part. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for how you lead us into transformation. Uh, transformation comes only through walking out life, 
um, not running, but actually leaning into. And we're grateful that in the midst of that, you, you teach us about the who. You help free us from our preoccupation with the what. And you get us to a place where we can trust. But as the man who cried out to you, help us with our unbelief. Help us with our distrust. In the midst of our darkest hour of trial and pain and suffering when we wanna give up because the what doesn't line up with what we've heard, help us to let go and surrender and move to who? That you, Jesus, are with us in that. You have not left us and you don't leave us. So we pray for this community that as we leave this place, that that we would move into transformation that way. That we uh, might be people who choose to trust in the midst of doubt and skepticism. God, we thank you and we love you. It's your name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a couple songs just to kind of let us reflect and think and then I'm gonna come out and then we're gonna take uh, communion together. So feel free to worship however you want this morning. Oh, this is cheap pandering, but this is my boy. This is Maverick. Can you say hi? Yeah, he just woke up from a nap. Hey, thanks for coming. Uh, glad that you could make it. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget December 9th. We'll be talking about the state of the church. We'd love to have you there. Uh, get your feedback. Let you have, ask questions and stuff. So uh, we'd love to have you then. So mark your calendars. Vox uh, dinners also. Sign up if you haven't. We'd love to have you a part of those too. Uh, but pray you have a good week. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.